podcast is recorded live from FLW headquarters in Hopkins, Minnesota. I'm your host, Joe O'Pogger. Now here's my good friend and co-host, the wild man, the birthday boy, Jody White. Jody, hey. what's going on? <laughs> uh, not a whole lot, man. Dude. I'm back from Florida. It's, you know, pretty nice here, I guess. Yeah. It's about well, 20. Real quick, let's just get this out of the way. I've got this all queued up. We got a little, uh festivities to add to this podcast happy birthday jody you're away from home you're in minnesota got any big plans tonight any hot dates no no i got nothing well you were gonna take today off for your birthday but you made it in for the podcast for the listeners and the big brett Hyde interview we got coming up you're pretty excited for that Happy birthday to you, Jody White. Happy birthday, buddy. All right. Well, Glad you made it in. Glad you're here for the podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I will say, though, I did totally forget about the podcast when I said, oh, I'm going to take my birthday off. And then you were like, on Wednesday? Really? <laughs> so I guess maybe, I, maybe I'm the bad person for that. No, you're not a bad person at all because you're here, so, and we thank you for that. So, the Okeechobee hangover. You're, how's it? How's it been since you got back to Minnesota? Obviously, we uh, arrived back to some nice and cool temperatures, eight below again. Another eighty-five degree swing this time. It was pretty ridiculous. Well, it's actually pretty nice today, though. Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll be honest. You know, it's maybe in the teens, in the twenties. It feels really nice out now, and it's gonna. I think feel like that in the next couple of days. So I'm pretty excited about it is pretty ridiculous how we're like, like it's woohoo, it's fifteen. This feels great. It 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 really does feel good though. <laughs> it, there's just that little bit of an edge off, which is so important. It feels you know, who knows? Maybe spring is coming soon. Well, I, I don't know. I saw some tweets yesterday from our local forecaster here in the Twin Cities who said basically we're all done with the below zero weather for the next or basically for this winter, we shouldn't see any more until uh, next year, which is great news because I'm ready to be done. Yeah, me too. <laughs> don't, you don't have to tell me twice. I'm, I'm done with this. So, as I mentioned earlier, we've got a great show coming up for you today. We're going to uh, break it down with Brett Height, and we've got a ton of questions submitted from FLW fans via the website and social media. So, That'll be a lot of fun. And, yeah, what else has been going on? Not a whole lot of news other than, of course, the big Okeechobee event. But Yeah, it's really been pretty much pure fishing these last couple last couple days. You know, we've had a couple of events. We've got a couple of events coming up. But it's mostly been Okeechobee, which is, you know, fine by me, to be honest. <laughs> I, I like fishing. I'm all about it. Well, in addition to the Okeechobee tournament that went down, and we'll uh, break down extensively coming up here, there were a couple BFL events uh, this past weekend as well, right? 
Yeah, we had two BFL events. I, I saw that my Rayovac Rumble pick, Dickie Newberry for Sam Rayburn, uh, won an event down at Sam Rayburn, right? Yeah, he won. Uh, I think he won by about three pounds. Maybe it was two pounds. He, he had a pretty solid win. Um, actually, both BFL winners won by a pretty fair margin. That was actually his ninth BFL win, tenth FLW win, because wow. he's also got a Rayovac series win sure. in there. He uh, that's got to be up there as far as you know BFL records, right? Well, I'm not sure the status of the record keeping as far as how far back we go, because you seem to think here that um, Bill Taylor has about a million BFL <laughs> wins. Well, that's according to Bill Taylor. I don't know, um, but he's actually second on the list now of all time. All time with wow. nine, he was tied for second with a few other guys who had eight. And he jumped into it, you know, totally solo. There's a guy from up in Ohio who's got 13, who's the all-time leader. And he's still, he very well may add some to it this year. I wish I recalled his name. I looked these up yesterday, not today. Um, Was he like a guy that just dominated on one certain lake? Or do you not know? Well, it's mostly the Ohio River where I think he's done really well. He's, because we have the, the, in the, uh, in the, I think it's the Hoosier division. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, the Hoosier division, maybe we've got a, we've got a lot of divisions up there. Um, but they fish they fish the Ohio River a lot, and he's got a lot of wins there. And, you know, I think, I think that's pretty cool that, some, that somebody can dominate that well. Um, Newberry's, you know, he dominates on Sam Rayburn, but he's got wins on Toledo Bend. Yeah, that was um, going to be my next question. He's was, got some wins you know, other places. How many of Newberry's wins came at Rayburn but I don't know you're answering that right now for me I guess I think if I was going to guess I would say it's either six or seven and he's got either two or three wins other places but I'm not really sure catches them all over the country everywhere we go well the man Dickie Newberry (laughs) well he doesn't really catch them all over the country he catches (laughs) them any place that's near Texas down south Texas is a big place but I he has no record on Champlain or uh Smith Mountain Lake or Okeechobee, as far well, as I can tell. in all fairness, how many tournaments has he really competed in on Champlain? I mean... Well, probably none. Probably. I, but. I, yeah. He does catch them all over Texas, everywhere we go. I bet, he would, I bet he would catch them there. Whether or not he gets enough to win, that's another story. But I bet he would catch some on Champlain. Well, to be honest, it's pretty hard not to catch fish on Champlain, which is one of the reasons it's so many people's favorite lake. Real quick, before I forget, obviously I'm trying to implement the Chris Jones soundboard here into the podcast again. We've got an app. Yeah, be sure to check that out. It's out now for uh, iOS and Android. Uh, just search FLW Chris Jones soundboard. It'll be the first thing that pops up. It's free. It's hilarious. You may have seen it on FLW Live this past weekend. A lot of the anglers got a kick out of it this weekend. Uh, this past weekend, and it was pretty cool to see. But I'll try to try to get my, do my best to. Get some Chris Jones sound bites in there. So back to these BFLs. Uh, how, how did they win? What were the winning pattern and details? All right. So uh, the BFL, well, I guess we are talking about Dickie Newberry. We'll go with that one. Sure. Um, that was on Sam Rayburn. He had 19 pounds, 4 ounces. I predicted 23 pounds to Ooh, win that tournament, by the way. You're slipping. Well, here's the thing. I had to make a judgment call on that pick. I said. How so? Is it going to be warm? Is the weather going to warm up? Uh, or is it going to be cold? Sure. It stayed cold. <laughs> I think if it warmed up, I would have been a lot closer. Did he win with rattle traps? 
You betcha. There you go. Okay. Um, rattle trap, and he caught his. That's big, the deal actually, down there. He actually caught his biggest fish though, on a uh, Santone finesse jig. All right. Um, and yeah, he won. You know, in a little spot in the hydrilla, because that's how that's how they do it down there. Hydrilla featured prominently in both BFL wins. We had another uh, BFL up on Gunnersville, first one of the Choo Choo Division, which is one of my favorite names we have <laughs> for the BFL divisions. The Choo Choo Division. Yeah, I don't know how we're eh. supposed to say it, whether it's like Choo Choo or whether it's like Choo Choo, like a horn. Yep, that's how you need to say it. Okay, well, Every that's time. how we're going to say it in the future. All right. Um, I'll figure out a way to write that in the press releases. Oh, gosh, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know you know those train horns you can get, like the wooden carved whistles that they go like, woo, woo? Mm-hmm. I think it should be a little more like that. <laughs> could probably find a sound clip on YouTube or something we could play. Well, anyhow, so... Not that we need to, of course. James Summerell won that one. He had 29 pounds, 8 ounces. I predicted 25 pounds for that one. I hate predicting things on Gunnersville. You never know. You, you really, you know, it could have been... Nobody would have been surprised if he'd weighed in 35 pounds. The thing is, the the surprising thing is, and it's not super surprising, but the interesting thing is he didn't catch his fish with an Alabama rig. That is surprising. He caught all his fish on... Did he throw an Alabama rig? He did. He caught some keepers on it. Okay. But fish that he called. all All the fish that went in his live well were caught on a single swim bait, a bass trix, and on a red-eye shad. Dave Lefebvre's hero. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, see, here's the thing. He did have Alabama rigs in the boat, though, so Lefebvre probably hates him. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting that we saw a tournament on Gunnersville kick out a really big weight, but without Alabama rigs. And we see that a lot. We saw, you know, Justin Lucas threw a single swim bait to great effect last year, I think, in the Rayovac on mm-hmm. Gunnersville. He, I think he had a day where he caught over 30 pounds. We know that can catch big weights, but I feel like this time of year we start to get into the mode where a lot of people are complaining about the Alabama rig and how it catches too many fish on Gunnersville, and a guy won not catching fish on an Alabama rig, which to me is kind of cool. There you go. So the next question I have for you then, I, I guess are we all done with the BFL talk before I segue yeah, into our know, next topic? You know, we really are. Okay. Will the Alabama rig be a factor in the upcoming college fishing event down there this weekend at Toledo Bend? It, I, I have no idea what kind of fishery Toledo Bend is. Break it down for me. I know you talked to Jim Tut actually at the I, tour event. I talked to Jim Tut. Jim Tut loves Toledo Bend. Yeah, I could tell from the press release. I I record I I, I was recording him on my phone, and I recorded about five or six minutes of him talking to me about Toledo Bend. And then he sat there and talked to me for like another 10 minutes about Toledo Bend. <laughs> it's like when I get on a roll about Champlain or something. It's it's a lake that he absolutely loves, and I love that. <laughs> um, as far as Toledo Bend, it's got a lot more standing timber in it le- that's left in it than Sam Rayburn does. But it's the same type of lake. You know, hydrilla, little ditches and drains, that sort of thing is what, kind of, is what guys are going to target. He said that People might catch them on an Alabama rig, but that from here on out, it's really, you know, rattle trap time. There's there's sort of other patterns you can work off the rattle trap bite. Like, you could throw a chatterbait a little bit. You could, you know, throw a jig a little bit, maybe a swim jig or something. You could throw a spinnerbait. 
he said some big fish would probably be caught on a uh, Carolina rig, one of my least okay. favorite things to throw. <laughs> um, but mostly he said that it's going to be a rattle trap dominated event and that this time of year is the best time to catch big fish. He was he was adamant, and I was surprised because normally pros are pretty willing to discount how well college guys will do on a lake. They're, they're really quick to say, well, you know, it's the college tournament, so it's going to be less, which is by and large most of the time right. But he, he was like, yeah, it's going to take a well over 25 pounds to win. He thinks they're going to crush them. You know, it seems like we're getting some crappy weather coming in mm-hmm. to some parts of the country. I don't really know if it's going to affect Toledo Bend. Uh, it, certainly has, it certainly affected Sam Rayburn in the last BFL because the water was really cold. But it sounds like it should be an awesome tournament with a lot of rattle traps being thrown around around hydrilla and stumps and stuff like that. That area of the country really loves its college fishing, too. I mean, that northwest Louisiana, northeast Texas, southeast Arkansas area, that little triangle right there, huge in college fishing. I've had requests for to, to for the media members, like a TV station, to go out on a boat to chase these guys down on Saturday and, you know, do a feature story on them, like... You don't see that everywhere we go. So, I mean, it's refreshing to see, you know, the coverage and the support that these guys get from their schools. Yeah, I would agree. That part of the country seems to get more support for college fishing and more interest in it mm-hmm. than... Well, and it is the home of the national champions, you know, University of Louisiana Monroe, right there. So. Yeah. It certainly does seem to get more coverage and more interest than other parts of the country, which I don't know why that is, but I'm happy it is. Yeah, there's only... Uh, Basically three weeks left until our next big event at Lake Hartwell, but also at the same time is going to be the College Fishing National Championship on Lake Kiwi. So one of these episodes coming up here over the next few weeks, we're going to have to do a, a College Fishing episode where we really uh, emphasize Jody's fist pumping right now because obviously he, he loves College Fishing. But yeah, we're going to have to you know talk to some of these guys that are maybe competing and break down uh, how Kiwi is going to be fishing as well. Give yeah, those guys I, a little love. I, I need to look at the field list. I I keep meaning to. I keep meaning to say who, who's, who's in it, who do I want to talk to, who do I think is interesting. Because, um, yeah, I, I'm excited for that event. I, I love the College Fishing National Championship. It's, it's so exciting. It's so awesome to be a part of. And I'm really stoked to see how it all pans out this year, especially because we've got the bigger field. We're going to, you know, Kiwi. I think Clemson's got a team in it, and that's almost a home body of water sure. for them. So we've got some really legitimate local favorites. So it should be a fun event. Yeah, so look, be looking for that over the next few weeks, the uh, special college fishing episode. But you ready to talk a little Okeechobee recap? Yeah, Get into absolutely. That? Okay. Bring it on. Okay, we'll have uh, Brett Height coming up here in just a few minutes. But first, uh, obviously the week started out on a sour note, uh, you know, Wednesday evening, right after we got done recording the podcast with uh, new stars of Circuit Breaker, Chad, Chad Grigsby and JT Kenny. Uh, then the news broke of uh, the unfortunate Brandon Mc- Brandon McMillan disqualification. What were your thoughts about that one, Jody? Well, you know, it sounds like we did the right thing, and it's I personally I think it's a bummer he got disqualified. Oh, huge like, bummer! I wish, you know, it was his fault. It was his co-angler's fault, or it was his fault. It was the guy who practiced with him. It was both mm-hmm. of their fault to some extent, because um, they would have been pretty easy to call Bill Taylor and find out whether he could fish with them or not. Sure. Uh, but, man, you know, I had him on my fantasy team. I wanted 
I wanted him on. Oh man, you weren't the only one. Yeah, Are we. And I, I was one of the idiots who found out super early before it was public. <laughs> right? I was like, all right. I got to make sure to take him off my fantasy team. And then I forgot to take him off my fantasy team. So that helped me bomb the event. In your defense, you kind of had a lot lot of stuff going on. I mean, it was, we had just gotten on Okeechobee. You were filming for Circuit Breaker, doing all that. But Yeah, how uh, busy. My first evening down there was stupid busy. I will be, I'll be honest. Yeah. I, was, I had a podcast to edit. I had Circuit Breaker to do. Fantasy fishing was the last thing on my mind. But I did remember once to tell myself to remember and then never remembered it it really was a unfortunate situation for everybody i mean you know it's it's a lose-lose situation i mean it sucks for brandon it sucks for flw because we know how good he is down there he's obviously one of the all-time record holders for largest four-day weight ever and on that body waters i mean there's nothing that we want to see more than him to break that record so it was really disappointing that you know we had to make that decision however I'm very happy that we did make that decision because it, it shows that you know you know nobody's above the law. Everybody's going to be held to these standards. Everybody needs to know the rules. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a team guy, Chevy Pro Anthony Gagliardi. It doesn't matter if it's your home body of water and you're expected to dominate Brandon McMillan. I mean, it, it really it really sucked, but in the end, I think it's good for the industry and good for the sport. It brings our credibility back and it shows that. No, the rules apply to everybody. No one's above the law. So, unfortunately, we're uh, not going to be seeing him on the tour this year. But I'm fairly positive that he will be back next year. So, especially if we go to Okeechobee again, definitely. Which may or may not happen. I remember from the Bill Taylor podcast, he had kind of mentioned he, we're looking at some alternatives. Yeah. Obviously, I love going to Okeechobee. That's my favorite event of the year every year. I mean, we get out of Minnesota in February. We see these monster. 35 pound stringers it's it's a lot of fun but there's a lot of other great fisheries down in that area too so you never know yeah i mean we'll see i'm actually one of my favorite parts of the of fishing is just seeing the schedules and so i'll i'll be excited when whenever that happens i have no idea when that happens but that's that's something i'm excited about Back to some fantasy news real quick about the whole McMillan deal and uh, him getting removed from fantasy players' rosters. Uh, there was a, kind of a lot of feedback about, you know, FLW should have sent an email or notified us somehow or replaced him on our team or done something. But that issue will be addressed. Like, we can't change the rules anymore. There was an email sent out to all players that had McMillan in their team and it said, you know, McMillan has been disqualified and you have until midnight to replace your team. However, a large portion of uh, players have opted out of receiving fantasy fishing emails. I mean, it's one of the boxes you check when you sign up right there. I can understand why you do it. Hell, I opt out of everything most of the time as well when I'm signing up for stuff. But for, stu- for stuff like this where, you know, there's last-minute changes coming in, you should definitely opt back in because – there were some players that were affected, but there were a lot of players that were able to make that last-minute change and, you know, save their save their team. Yeah, maybe they added Brett Height. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been the smart decision. Uh, do you did you happen to see any stats as far as like who, how many players had picked Brett Height or anything like that? No, I meant to look this up and get an answer. Yeah, it would be interesting. We'll have that for next podcast because I would like to know, you know, also the winners of. Who, the five grand for this event, you know? Who did they have on their team? I, I think stuff like that would be kind of fun to find out, too. 
Yeah, I I would definitely like to know that. So. I do think I bet the overall winner didn't own Brett Height. It's just my guess. Hmm. I feel like Brett Height was a bit of a dark horse type pick. Yeah. I <laughs> see. I mean, he's he's good down there, but not a lot of people saw him coming. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. And you know, his last like really successful event down there was Toho. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a while away. It's not Okeechobee. So if you're looking at just Okeechobee results, you say, all right, well, he does well, but is that the guy I want to put on my fantasy team? Sure. That's another fun thing that we kind of find out, or fun to find out too. Like the final 10 guys, what was their salary value? Could you have owned all 10 for under 200 bucks? I'm not sure. But it'd be fun to find out. I mean, there were a few guys in there that, you know, were some of the lower dollar amounts on salary are on the salary fantasy fishing. So I think you could have done it. Great values uh, would have been there. It'd be interesting to see. We'll have that for you next week as well. We'll do a little more research into yeah. this. But I, I'm look the way I look at it. I think you could probably do it because Tharp, um, Cody Meyer, and I guess Canterbury and Blaylock and Nixon. Mm-hmm. Oh man, it might have been close. I don't know. It's a good thing though that Brent Ayler didn't make the top ten because otherwise you almost certainly couldn't do it. Yeah, that would have bumped it. That would have bumped you over. I think. So before we get Brett Hyde on the phone, let's uh, recap the co-angler champion uh, from. He's from California, Burlingame, California. Billy DeHart. He brought a huge uh, final day stringer, or day three stringer, last day for the co-anglers. Twenty-three pounds, eight ounces. It was anchored by a nine-pound fourteen monster that was. Really impressive, but yeah, he had the highest three-day total of, I'm sorry, I don't have this in front of me, I'm trying to look, 48 pounds, 11 ounces, he won by one ounce, so if that 914 would have been 913, it would have been a tie and he would have lost, so it's kind of cool, but it's my favorite part of the job, is seeing these guys get the paychecks, like their emotion, I mean, on stage, Billy was tearing up a little bit he held it together nicely i've seen some guys you know flat out ball but it's always fun seeing that emotion and like i really feel like the co-anglers are just as happy as when the pros win like there's the same type of emotion yeah i'm with you i mean well a 25 grand check like that's a big deal you know regardless so yeah i'd be i'd be pretty emotional too um for sure DeHart only won 20000 because he was not Ranger Cup qualified. Uh, but still, $20,000 is pretty dang awesome. Yeah, it's a pretty uh, good deal. He caught his fish by throwing a white 3-8 ounce War Eagle spinnerbait. He also caught some on a Rapala X-Rap prop on day two. And then, of course, his big one on day three came on a 5-inch watermelon-colored Senko. Just flipping in the Thule's, So Good stuff. Her first win of his career. Biggest, biggest win of his career. By the way, what? Well, here's the thing. There aren't toolies on. Yeah, that's a California there are, term. There are toolies out west. We don't have toolies <laughs> back here. What do they call them in the east? Cattails. They there have a go. lot of, well, Okeechobee, like, they have, they're very specific about the types of emergent vegetation they have. You know, they've got, like, they've got gator grass. They've got, like, pencil, pencil reeds, mm-hmm. um, buggy whips, cattails. They're, buggy whips. Yeah, they really they really get Sounds into like naming really their nice stuff. Sounds like a really nice Amish wagon or something. This is my buggy whip. Oh, <laughs> see, I think a buggy whip is more like something you would use to whip a horse that was driving a buggy. Uh, okay, 
that makes sense. I think that's where the term comes from. Anywho, that's a Jody White term. Anywho, yep. biggest win of DeHart's career. It was great to see. Yeah, and... And it was exciting. I mean, one by one ounce. He had no idea, so it was cool. Yeah, and I don't... I didn't check this for the co-angler winners on the, the Okeechobee event, but Brett Height is actually the furthest... He's from the furthest west that anybody has ever lived who's won the Okeechobee event. Hmm. So we kind of had a western slant this year. Yeah, California and Arizona. That's yeah. going over to Florida to win. That's kind of cool. I didn't I think, think about that. But. Yeah, well, I looked it up. And this is Shinichi Fukai. Shin was living in Texas at the time that he won. So I know he's from Japan, but... If we keep him in Texas and say he's he was from Texas when he won, then Brett Height's got it. You know, looking at the results right here, the final top ten, I don't know if I can remember when the last time we've had an event where there hasn't been a Florida guy in the top ten. You know, Arkansas, there was three Arkansas pros, uh, James Watson from Missouri. Oh, Randall Tharp from yeah, Florida I was, now. Yeah, I was, I was yeah. waiting for you to get okay, to that. Okay, Randall Tharp's from Florida. He's, well, he's Alabama from there now. But, um, yeah, but it was certainly a non-Florida top 10. There, You know, there were some Florida guys in the top 20. Um, and, you know, if Brandon McMillan had been there, I think probably we would have seen another Florida uh, yeah, guy in the top 10. I would say it's a safe bet. Uh, but, yeah, it certainly, certainly was an interesting event. Yeah, it was a fantastic week for everybody involved. You ready to get uh, Brett Hyde on the phone, get some questions answered? I am, but I have two more Okeechobee facts okay. that I want to talk yeah. about. First one, Cody Meyer, our yes. boy, Broke set himself a new record. Heck yeah. He DiMaggio-esque, I'm going to call it. All right. He passed Jacob Poroznik. He's got 47 limits in a row now. That's pretty And he impressive. needed to fish all four days to do it. Otherwise, mm-hmm. he would have just tied for the record. So that is super Yeah, I remember cool. on the podcast with Cody when I asked the question, and I kind of phrased it like, you could break it at Okeechobee, but... And I kind of like stumbled at my words, like realizing he would have to fish all four days, and like, yeah. oh, that's, that's a lot, a, that's a lot harder said than set, done. Yeah. yeah, but but he but he did it, and uh, yeah, yeah the all time record holder. He's got forty seven and counting. I mean, Hartwell's right in his wheelhouse. He's good at catching fish on Hartwell, right? Like we could see. I mean, Hartwell can be stingy at times, I think, but we could see we could see him really, you know, carry this thing keep out, this thing going. I'd yeah. love to see it. Um, I will say, though, Sam Rayburn, it could be the way that's fished this spring anyhow, it's been a tough lake to catch a limit mm-hmm. on. So hopefully he can catch his limit hopefully there. It warms up a little bit and comes around. Yeah, because we know he can catch a limit at Beaver Lake. You know, I think uh, it'll be it'll be fun to follow throughout the season. Definitely. Fingers crossed. History in the making. Yeah. I hope he can do it for like 10 seasons in a row. <laughs> I think that would be awesome. Just some super unattainable, will never be replicated record. I'd yeah. love to see it. Absolutely. Let's do it. And then my other, my other Okeechobee fact, on the pro side, there were 35 limits greater than 20 pounds weighed in, which I don't know how that compares to <laughs> That was my next I question. I have no idea how it compares. I just think that's a lot. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. How many were over 30 pounds? Was there just the one? I think, I think it was, was just, just Heights I'm Day I'm pretty one. sure it was just one. Yeah, because, I mean, even Bohannon's big uh, stringers were only, like, 28. Yeah, it must have been just the one because okay. I've looked through here. I'm just 
scanning at the top 10, I figure if anybody caught 30 pounds, I probably ended up in the top 10, and I only see one there. Gosh, I was so excited. I mean, after the first two days, Height had 58 pounds, and I'm like, he's on pace for 116, and that's going to smash the records. And, of course, it slowed down a little bit, and he ended up with 88, but it was pretty exciting after that second day. I was like, oh, my God, if we're going to see the biggest stringer of all time, you know, the four-day, but didn't happen, unfortunately. Yeah, you know, it's hard to catch. For four you know, days, it's hard, absolutely. It's hard to average over 25 pounds a day. That's a big deal. But it sure would have been cool, though, if he had, if he had had a little more magic left for that maybe the last day to top it off with 35 pounds again. That would have been that would have been, been cool. so awesome. All right, well, let's get Brett on the phone and uh, talk to him and hear how he did it. And now we're joined by Brett Height. He had a masterful win on Okeechobee this year. He's won two FLW Tour events now. Brett, how how are you doing? Thanks for coming on. Where are you now? Are you on Hartwell or are you back in Arizona? What's the deal? Uh, right now I'm fishing on the St. Johns River, uh, trying to trying to stay out of the the snow sleet and ice in the in the south. Uh, you know, I have a flight out of Atlanta on Friday, and I uh, and I hope I make it. I, it's uh, <laughs> it looks not looking good up there. Yeah, it certainly doesn't look fun. I've been watching the snow and the the everything sort of in the ice come across on based on Twitter today, and it doesn't it doesn't look fun at all. But I'm glad you're still in Florida. That that's got to be a really nice thing. Yeah, yeah, it's not not bad. Everybody was freezing yesterday. I was in uh, shorts and flip flops and a t shirt, and today it's still not. Uh, I think it's supposed to be high sixties, low seventies today, and uh, you know, I'll uh, I'll take that any day. All right, Joe, do you want to get right into the uh, fan questions, and then we'll sort of fill in the gaps later on? Well, absolutely. Well, first, I'm going to start with one of my own personal questions for Brett, because I know that a lot of people were interested in it. And uh, I I wanted Brett to talk about uh, how he – basically where he stayed when he was down at Okeechobee. Was he at a a house? Did he have a camper? Uh, Did he have any roommates? What was your uh, living situations like down there, and how did you stay focused for four days? Um, Actually, I I have a a Lance camper that I travel with. I stayed right there at, uh, you know, Roland and uh, Marianne's Marina there. Nice. They have a really nice RV park, which is absolutely, I mean, it's it's awesome. It's right, you could throw a rock and hit the launch ramp that we launch out of. So um, this week I was staying by myself. Um, you know, a lot of time I stay, uh, Brent Ayler stays with me, but just with my busy schedule, um, it's, it's not really going to work out that, uh, he gets to stay with me, but you know, every, uh, every night we all kind of him and, uh, Brent and, uh, Brandon Hunter and John Murray, we'd go out to dinner and, you know, of course, talk about our days and sure. kind of, uh, brainstorm on, on what, what the conditions were like and what, uh, you know, what fishing was like. Okay, cool. Yeah. It sounds like that's a pretty good system, especially cause you and Brent finished very high. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean we for the last couple of years you know we work together um exclusively and um you know we just have a good thing going uh you know a lot of people ask you know, i mean if do you work with somebody and um brent and i work real well together um the biggest thing if you're if you're planning on working with somebody obviously you have to be truthful 
Um, and, and if I know, I know he's telling me the truth and he knows I'm telling him the truth. We share everything and, um, it works real, real well. You know, if we, if I, I spend three days on the water and he spends three days on the water in practice, we figure we got a pretty good idea of what's going on on that, that body of water. And if, and if we can't figure it out, we, we figure, uh, not too many people are going to figure it out. When you guys are doing that and sharing information, how does it work as far as locations? Because you obviously had yourself a gold mine, and Brent's won tournaments in the past where he's had some really good spots. You're not sh- you're sharing just general lo- information, or are you saying, "Well, I went here and found fish here, so this is my spot." How does that work? Um, what, what we're sharing, we're sh- you know, bass fishing, tournament bass fishing. The the best way to be consistent is to be able to pattern fish. And what we share is the pattern that we find. You know, if if he says, uh, you know, I'm catching them, you know, let's say, on secondary points um, with chunk rock on a jig at 25 feet, um, if I know he's in a certain area, I'm not going to go in that area, but I'm going to take that pattern and apply it somewhere else in the lake. Um, so as tournament fishermen, that's what we really look for is a pattern. And that's how you win um, you don't necessarily have to have a pattern on a one-day team tournament, um, but on a four-day tournament, you have to have a pattern because you need more than one spot, um, and that, that's really when a, when a pattern comes into play. Okay, cool. Definitely got to be a huge advantage. Uh, let's get into some of the fan questions here. The first one we got for you is submitted on Facebook by Team Amodio was the account's name, but it says... On, on the first day when you weighed in the 35-pound bag, at what time of the day did you know that you were going to have a massive bag? Um, when I caught the last one, uh, it, it, you know, at about 10 o'clock, I think I had two or three of those big ones, um, and I was feeling real well uh, along with, you know, some, uh, you know, I probably had a five and a half, an eight, and a seven and three-quarter, um, um, and a couple three-pounders, so... Um, you know, I just kept on putting my head down, um, and you, you really can't let off the gas that first day. Um, you really need to to uh, try to try to uh, get the biggest bag that you can get on that first day of the tournament. Especially, I mean, it would be different if we were at a uh, a venue that the weights weren't as, aren't, aren't potentially as high and the fishing is tougher. Mm-hmm. Um, but at Okeechobee, you really can't let off the gas there. So. Um, by one o'clock, I had that twelve thirty or one o'clock. I had that that stringer, um, and you know, I, I just I kept putting my head down um, and fishing my spots, and it just came together. You know, it was one of those magical days that um, you go out fishing. I mean, I don't know how many days I've ever fished in my life, but you know, I probably only had uh, three days, probably like you know that that good or above in my life, and uh, awesome. that was one of them. Where do you, where did those other three days come? Um, one was actually at Clear Lake. I was actually took uh, one of our ex editors for FLW, Jason Seelock, out fishing. Um, and that day I had uh, forty three pounds. You know, just fun fishing. But that was my biggest stringer ever in any style of tournament. But uh, with Jason, I had forty forty three pounds for five bass. Um, and uh, another one, the, the other two were both on, on Clear Lake. 
Actually, on the other one was on the Delta, just uh, practicing for a tournament one one time. Actually, the tournament I think I won um, on the Delta um, when I won back to back years. You know, I've had I've been fortunate to win uh, three of those hundred twenty five thousand dollar checks um, with FLW, and that's just a great feeling. And um, <laughs> you know, there's um, not not many places you can go and, and win that kind of money, money tournament fishing. For sure. So the next question I want to ask, we're talking about big bags. Jonathan Bailey says, on the last day you weighed in a smaller bag. Did you ever think that wasn't enough because you were fishing Okeechobee? Or, you know, maybe the way I would ask it, when were you sure you'd won? Did you think you'd won when you got off the water? Or did you have to wait in line and talk to people and see what other people had done? Um. You know, I, I I thought I had a pretty good chance um, at the end of the day. You know, my goal was somewhere between 15 and 20 pounds. Um, and, I, you know, I got right there around 15 pounds. And I knew, okay, just for second place of Randall Tharp, he, if I caught 15, he would have to catch 27, um, which he had not done that week. I mean, of course, he's done that in the past there, but he had not done that that week. Um and then so on and so forth. I think second would have, you know, had to catch 29. And then so, you know, it would have got worse and worse and worse as we go down. Um, I just didn't see um, after after four days of competition um, in the area where most of the, the top 10 guys were fishing was in the area, main general area where I was fishing too. Um, I just didn't see that style of bag coming out of there with with the pressure that it had gotten over the last four days okay next question we got for you is from jeremiah who wants to know a little bit about your practice style uh he says congratulations brett great way to start off the new year when practicing for a tournament how many techniques and how long do you give an area before calling it a bust and i guess you can apply this to your okeechobee practice or just in general yeah, I mean, Okeechobee is a little bit different because we go there a lot, and I, I have a pretty good idea what I'm going to do. But here's how I would go to, uh, let's say, a new lake would be, um, you know, would be the best scenario. Um, I, I would pick an area in the lake, um, pretty good size area, and I'm going to stick in that and practice all day in that area um, uh just the whole day in one area. I mean, like I said, a pretty good size area, Um, but practice in that area. And, and, and there's a couple different reasons. I want to learn what, of course, what the pattern is. Um, And when I find that pattern in that area, I'm going to start running that pattern in that area. Um, And then of course, use a couple different techniques, whether um, one of the biggest things that I look for when I go to a lake, what depth are the fish in? If I can figure out what depth of fish you're in, um, you know, it, it, it's like uh, a whole board of baits comes up in my mind. Okay, at that depth, this bait will work, this bait will work, this bait will work. So I, I find the depth, find the pattern, um, run that pattern. But then if I stay in one general area the whole day of practice, now I have a whole group of spots in one area. So let's say I start the tournament where I practice day one. I have a whole pod of spots in that area. It's not like I 
I went in this creek, and then two hours later, I went to the next creek, and two hours later, I went to the next creek. So now you're running all the time and, not, and don't have your spots combined. Because time management and efficiency in these big tournaments is crucial. Um, and that's really – and then, of course, you know, maybe the second day, I might go to a completely different area of the lake, practice around in there. Maybe it might be better. Maybe it might be worse. If it's worse, I'm going to go back to maybe that, that first area or something similar close by and, and expand on that pattern. Um, and that's usually how I go about practicing in a tournament. When you say a large area, like how, how large? I mean, a mile, a uh, half a mile? Can oh, you give any estimation there? No, it, yeah, a bigger area than that. You know, I would say, let's say a, a per, let's say a creek arm, you know, mm-hmm. a, let's say a three mile creek arm or something. Okay. Now, I try to pick something that, that, uh, let, let, let's say we're going to table rock or something, you know, uh, you know, I'm going to go up the, the James River from this point to this point. I, I'm going to pick an a area of the lake that's versatile, um, that might have deep water. It might have shallow water. I mean, it, it has a bunch of different options. So um, you might be able to find a couple different patterns or, you know, there might, you know, there's good water for shallow fish. There's good water for deep fish. Um, so a, a nice versatile area that, uh, you know, that you could really pick apart and maybe find uh, whether the fish are shallow or deep or, you know, whatever kind of cover they might be on. Okay. Cool. We've got two questions here from Kyle Brinkman to sort of break up the, our standard, we're talking about fishing. We're going to talk a little bit, I guess, outside of it a little bit, less technique specific here. He says, if you were allowed to fish or if you were allowed to pick the location of the 2015 Forestwood Cup, what lake would you pick and why? Mm. 2014 Forestwood Cup. Um, well, 2015. You know, 2014's at Lake Murray, yeah, of course. 20, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, uh, you know, I would probably have to go something like, uh, uh, hmm. I I would have two choices if it had to be on the on the east coast um or you know centrally located I would go with like somewhere like Lake Lanier I think I have a really good shot fishing you know structure style fishing like that um and then the next one would have to be um either the California Delta or Clear Lake um in northern California Okay All right and then his next question is if you were able to pick anyone to be a permanent co-angler for the FLW tour, who would you pick? <laughs> oh man! Yeah, you're on the spot know. here. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Um, you know, you, you meet a lot of really good people, um, either as co-anglers or just in the, the fishing business in general. Um, you know, I get that that question a lot, just on. Um, you know, people who aren't familiar with bass fishing, you know, as they always ask me, is, is anybody a jerk on, on tour? Or, <laughs> and I, my answer is, you know, really no. I mean, everyone shows their emotions every once in a while. And, and of course, there's going to be a little drama here and there. But, you know, for the most part, the people that you meet in the fishing industry are really good people. Um, and I really could not not pick out just one person because, 
Honestly, you'd probably get sick of them <laughs> <laughs> by the end, by the end of the year fishing fishing uh, fishing with the same person. But uh, you know, I uh, you know I, I like I said, I like uh, fishing with you know I enjoy fishing with people, and um, it's uh, you know it, it's nice switching it up and getting to fish with different people every once in a while. And uh, you know, you you meet people that. Um, do all sorts of different jobs, you know, um, fishing as co-angler, um, but they all have the love for bass fishing, and that's what we all have in common, and that's why we get along well. Okay. Off that co-angler question, how much do you typically interact with your co-angler when you're fishing? Does it depend on whether you're catching them really well or whether you're having a tough day? Because I was talking to Chad Grigsby, and he says that a lot of times – he couldn't pick his co-angler out of a lineup even two minutes after they weighed in because he gets <laughs> so focused in on just looking to the front and, you know, always being fishing. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I, I, I try to, you know, talk to my co-angler. Sometimes, you know, that will help you actually catch fish is actually relaxing and talking to somebody. Um, you know, I, I, I like to focus um, definitely, you're always a little uptight till you, till you get a limit. Um, so I really like to, you know, focus. You get a nice limit, you can lay back and, um, or just relax, not lay back, but just be in more relaxed mood. And, sure. uh, you know, talking can kind of, sometimes you get a little too intense and, and um, get a little uptight. Um, and sometimes just talking to somebody and, you know, just, uh, just just uh, kind of, you know, a little bit more, it relaxes your body to get some nervous energy out. And, uh, you know, it can actually help you catch fish and sometimes, just like you would if you were going fishing with your buddy. You know, if you had your best friend in the back, you wouldn't sit there and not talk. And what, what are some of your best days? Some of your best days are fishing with your buddies because why is that? Because you're relaxed and you're having fun. Definitely. So if, if, if you're not having fun out there, I mean, I try to have fun out on the water. I'm very serious, very focused, but that doesn't mean you can't talk to the guy. All right. Next question comes to you from James Dismore, who needs some uh, help picking out a rod. He says he's fairly new to the fishing game. He's been fishing for nine or ten months, and he's bought a few different rods. How do I know if I'm buying a sensitive rod? He fishes quite a bit on bull shoals, so jig fishing and 30 feet is pretty normal for him, but he has problems feeling the bottom, even after he switched to braid. Is it the rod? Um, it, it definitely could be the rod. The, the higher modulus graphite is usually means a uh, higher, more sensitive rod. Um, and usually, usually uh, more sensitivity, more sensitivity equates into more money. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, you, you do get a better better product for, for more money. I mean, there are a lot of very light um, feeling rods out on the market these days for a lot less money than, you know, any it used to be 10 years ago for a, a, a rod that um, weight-wise is, is as light as it is. But that doesn't always mean it's sensitive. So, um, you know... High modulus graphite usually means uh, more sensitivity, and uh, you know, I, if I was you, I would spend a little bit more money, and uh, yeah, I think you're going to get a, a little bit better feeling rod. And don't don't use braid on your jig, by the way. That's a no-no. 
Okay. Good advice for James there. All right. So let's go ahead and let's talk about – we've got two questions, I think. One from Phil and one from – I don't know. Rob Kleber? No. Yeah, Rob Kleber. Um, we've got two questions here about your bait. So could you talk about what exactly you were using – to catch your fish, um, we know. I know you flipped. You threw a swim jig. You threw a chatterbait. Some. Could you talk about your setups on that front? Yeah, you know, I, I kind of mixed it up this week. Um, I, I used a, a three-eighths ounce chatterbait elite and a green pumpkin and a, and a black and blue. Um, most of those were rigged with a Yamamoto swim and cinco, a four and a half inch, um, one in a black and blue and one in a green pumpkin. Um, I, I used the uh, black and blue in the morning or, you know, some days we had a little bit uh, cloudier conditions. Uh, and so, you know, more cloudy, I'm going to use that black and blue till that sun pops out and then switch up to the green pumpkin. Um, all those, um, my, my chatterbait rig is always rigged with a 20-pound fluorocarbon. I use Sunline FC Sniper, um, and I'm using a... Um, this is the biggest mistake people make with a chatterbait is they use too stiff a rod. I use a heavy action glass rod, um, and it, and it, it allows the fish to get the bait better. Um, you can, uh, you land a lot more fish using a stiff rod. You're going to rip the bait out of the, out of the, like you wouldn't use a, a jig rod for a crankbait. Um, it's just not, <laughs> you're going to lose all your, all your fish. Same way with a chatterbait. I mean, I'm not using what I would say a crankbait rod, but it has the parabolic action kind of a crankbait rod, but it is a stiffer action than what you would use for a crankbait. But those are, uh, you know, that's probably one of the biggest keys to successful, to being a successful uh, chatterbait fisherman is having the right rod. And I used uh, uh, Evergreen Heraculus. It's a brand new um, power glass rod that uh, Marizo Shimizu and and I uh, helped design, and it's uh, it's perfect. That along with a, a seven or a six two uh, Shimano, the new uh, Shimano Cronark CI four. That was my chatterbait setup. Um, on my swim jig, used a quarter ounce swim jig. Um, I just used a green pumpkin swim jig with a with a uh, Swim and Cinco, same four-and-a-half-inch green pumpkin Swim and Cinco um, with 20-pound shooter, uh, Sunline shooter. Um, and then on that, I'm using a medium-heavy um, graphite rod with the same reel, the Cronark, uh, um, new Cronark uh, CI4, 6-2 to 1. Um, on my flipping stick, I'm using a seven foot seven flipping stick um, with 60, 60 pound uh, FX2 braid um, and Sunline braid with an ounce and a half range tungsten weight with a Gami heavy cover flipping hook um, with a Yamamoto, the large flapping hog, which is, um, I tried a bunch of different baits in practice and I, I got 
I mean, it was noticeably noticeable difference on the quality of bite that I had with that large flapping hog over um, other baits. So that was really a, a big deciding factor, and um, was was a big deal for me on the third day. I would not have won that tournament if I wouldn't have won flipping. Um, and then, of course, uh, I, the first day I caught my biggest fish of the tournament on a cinco. I mean, if you go to Florida. And you don't have a six-inch Yamamoto Cinco in the boat. Um, you you need to because it, it's probably one of the most deadly baits down there. Um, and that again, 20-pound fluorocarbon with an eight-ounce weight. I like to put a little weight in it when I'm fishing that um, you know aquatic vegetation, just to sink it down there. Um, so Texas rig, eight-ounce um, Rains tungsten weight, um, pegged with a five-aught. Gamagatsu EWG Superline hook, um, you know, again on 20-pound fluorocarbon on uh, Evergreen uh, medium heavy action rod, and then the last bait I used was a um, real shallow running crankbait. A, it's a combat crank. It's an Evergreen crankbait. Um, it, I would compare it to like a kind of like a man's um, baby one minus. It uh, runs maybe a foot to a foot and a half deep has a weight transfer system in it, so you can cast a small crankbait a long ways. Um, but a square bill is, runs too deep in Florida. Um, it just bogs up with grass all the time. This this bait goes right over the top of the grass. Um, you can cast it a long ways. I'm throwing that on 16-pound um, um, FC Sniper on a medium-heavy glass rod, and uh, I'm, I'm using that just parallel to the grass grass line just rewinding it um, just over the top of that grass and those those were that was my complete setup um, you know of what I what I caught fish on all week I have a question sort of related to that what setup would you fish a spinnerbait on because you fish your uh, chatterbait and your swim jig on pretty radically different setups which in my mind those are two baits that are a lot of times used somewhat interchangeably yeah, I mean, usually uh, th- there's something with that chatterbait blade that uh, seems to maybe get in the way. Um, the, the thing with a swim jig, a swim jig usually has a lot bigger hook. You know, most, most of the swim jigs that you see have like a, what I would say, a 2 or 3X style hook. Um, I, I will throw a spinnerbait on my glass rod. Um, especially in, in a little bit more open water like I was throwing. I mean, if I'm fishing, uh, you know, big, heavy, uh, you know, trees or something, I might mix it up and, and put it on, like, my swim swim jig rod or something like that. But um, a lot of time I still I like to throw a spinnerbait on a glass rod, just that same chatterbait rod. Um, the fish, you just have less, less um, most of the time you, you're not going to lose the fish. You, um, you're just going to. The, the hookup ratio and getting them to the boat and keeping them on is going to be a lot better than than on the graphite rod. Cool. Thank you. I mean, every, everybody wants to try to make graphite rods that, I mean, they've been trying to, to do it for a long time to make a graphite rod bend like a glass rod. And, you know, you, you keep on seeing, um, <laughs> like, guys like Kevin Van Dam, I mean, he's still using a glass rod. And there there's... There's a reason for um, what I would say, um, you know, a, a 
uh, kind of reaction-based fishermen use that is you can't find that kind of action in anything else besides fiberglass or composite. I mean, when you hear fiberglass, that can be a composite too. Cool. Thank you. All right, next question for you comes from Charles Dudley, kind of a tournament logistics question, but he says, how come more pros don't fish closer to the marina? With all the grass there, I think that there will be quite a bit of big bass there as well. So can you explain, like, how the uh, off-limits area works or where? why don't more guys fish closer? You know, some guys do fish close. I mean, there is an off-limits um you know, it's not gigantic, so guys can fish closer. Um, you know, some some tournaments, that's some of the best areas be, um, just because, um, let's say, 75%, like we're just saying, let's just say 75% of the, the tournaments went out of Okeechobee through the whole year or through uh, out of, out of Clouston through the whole year. Um, that just means there's going to be a good population of, of fish that live around there that were released. I mean, they're not necessarily going to be right there, but, you know, within, I would say, a five-mile square area of that, mm-hmm. that, uh, that, that marina. And, uh, you know, sometimes if you go to a lake that you've never been, I mean, that's, that's a good way to, uh, you know, maybe get a good starting point is, is find out where most of the tournaments go out of. You know, if it's in one one creek arm, um, that's, that, uh, that might be a good starting spot. I mean, it, they're not going to be all piled up at the marina, but, um, you know, that might be a good creek that you know there is a good population of bass that live around there. Cool. Are you waiting for me, Joe? Yeah. Do you have the next question, or do you want me to keep going? I don't know. I thought maybe you had a question in mind, so I'll let you go for it. Uh, okay. Next question. Doug James asks, uh, many years ago, I recall seeing somewhere in print that bold and bright colors can affect your results when you're trying to sight fish for bedding bass. Do you have any thoughts there? Do you agree with that statement or disagree? It, you missed a you missed a line. It says bold and bright boat colors. Oh, boat colors. Oh, not bay colors. So a bold and bright boat can affect your results when sight fishing for bass. Do you have any thoughts there? Um, I mean, it, it, it really depends on the fish. You know, you go to some places where either the fish have been pressured on the bed um, and and they're real spooky. And I think, you know, having having uh, bright colors could definitely, you know, you might have to back off and, you know, stay farther away from the fish. But then you go to some places, I mean, I've been to Clear Lake where, you know, they have really, really uh, obviously big fish. Everyone knows that. But, you know, the, they have male bass there that are, you know, five pounds to six pound males that were literally try to come up and bump your trolling motor lower unit to get it out away from their bed. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, you know, it, it, it really depends on the lake and how much those fish have pressure and maybe – the, the conditions that they're in. So some sometimes I do, do think, um, to answer his questions, I do think it does make a, a difference. And sometimes, it, it, I mean, you could literally, the, the fish is trying to push the boat out of, out of the way. He doesn't care. So, um, you know, you're going to, if they are skittish, back off, maybe kneel down a little bit so that the fish can't see as bad, um, but just stay back as far as you can. Or get up on the bed if you're bed fishing, put your lure there and, um, you know, put the trolling motor in reverse and kind of back off and, and get away from that fish so he's not so skittish. 
All right. A couple last-minute questions just coming in via social media. Uh, Barry Tufo asked, uh, what was your strategy on managing your fish throughout the four days of competition? Um, you know, the first day after at, at about 1 o'clock when, you know, you, you have, you know, I figured I had over 30 pounds. Um, and you don't really want to keep on catching. You know, I threw back quite a few uh, four-pound fish. Um, you don't want to keep doing that, um, especially mm-hmm. in these areas, you know. So I kind of, what I like to do, and this, I, I, you know, in a lot of tournaments, when, when you have a good stringer, whether it, it might be at Lake Mead where 12 pounds is good, um, and you, let's say you caught in the first, you know, four hours, three or four hours, what I'm going to go do is go pre-fish a little bit more. Run that pattern in an area that you haven't been or in that area or, you know, maybe a stretch, a bank that you haven't been down. Um, And this week, that helped me. um, That first day, I went and ran that pattern on a couple areas um, that I had either get looked right and I had fished there and not got a bite before. Um, And and I went back there um, and actually, you know, caught some nice ones. So, um, you know, go, go, go. Go expand on your pattern. You you can never have too much water in one area. I mean, you can have too many spots in a lake where, like I said, time management can come in effect where you're running too much around the lake. But um, if you're in, you know, let's say one creek arm, um, you can never have too many spots that are close by. Okay, good advice. Last question that I've got for you comes from George from Hughesville, Pennsylvania. He says, after day one's giant bag, if you were allowed to choose only one bait that you had to fish with on day two, what would you have chosen? Obviously, you caught fish on the chatterbait and the swim jig, but your big one came on the Senko. So if you only had one bait for day two, what would it have been? You know, I what I would have done is I would have looked at the conditions. Um, and for me, that next day was very calm and sunny. Um, and previous day, we had real bright skies or uh, we had low light foggy conditions and nice breeze so for me it would have been that swim jig because like i told you guys in a bunch of interviews that um, my swim jig is kind of like my finesse chatterbait Um, sometimes they don't like that heavy vibration but you know they still like that that profile of that bait looks very similar to the chatterbait but it just doesn't have that heavy vibration and um i would i would have picked that uh Okay. I would have picked, uh, actually, I'm fishing right now. I just got one, fellas. Hey, nice. Um, <laughs> but I would have picked that swim jig just on the conditions that I saw. You know, it was kind of a little post-front that day, high skies and dead glass calm. And, and that's that was the day that, the you know, the, the swim jig excelled for me that day, too. So um, I think... Um, if you know, look at your conditions. Look, look what, uh, look what the bass are going to tell you. Um, a lot of time, you know, you can figure that out on what kind of conditions you're going to have. How big's the one you just caught? Oh, about a two pounder. You know, you guys might be good luck. I might have to talk to you all the time, <laughs> but I'd have to okay that with Bill Taylor. I'm very jealous right now. We're <laughs> in an office in Minnesota and not catching fish. So to hear you catching fish makes me very jealous. <laughs> well well I, I i'm very grateful for uh for the for my profession and the, and the sport that i uh that i love and uh you know it, it's it's uh 
lot of people don't understand we put in a lot of hard work, um, but we are very grateful that we get to do what we love to do for a living and and uh, be in the outdoors and, uh, you know, just uh, we really cherish the, the cool places that we get to go travel around this great United States and, and go fishing for a living. All right. Well, I tell you what, I've got one more question, and then we'll let you get back to totally fishing and not talking to us. Yeah. A lot of times we hear about guys fishing to win or fishing for a check. You've already banked a win this year with a huge check. Is that going to change how you fish the rest of the season in any form? No, not at all. I, I, I think, uh, I don't really know what the, the phrase would be, but these guys say, Oh, I only fish to win. I, I kind of think that's, you know, uh, you know, a little BS, but, uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I go out and fish, um, to find fish and find groups of fish and be fish to be consistent. Um, and by doing that, you're going to find the winning fish sooner or later at some time, or, I mean, you're going to be in that top 10 quite often. If you can find those consistent, um, just be consistent and catching fish, um, the big fish are around those areas too. Um, so, you know, these guys saying, I, 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 that's like, that's like Dudley, you know, how he has that pet peeve of, uh, I'm going to swing for the fences. Oh, I'm going to fish to win. Well, I mean, come on, man. I mean, we all want to win, but <laughs> you know, it, it's, uh, you go out there and you fish as hard as you can. And I try to fish consistent as possible. And those, the, I mean, you're going to find those fish fishing for, you know, to be consistent, um, and fishing for a check. I mean, that, that's how we make our living. Those $10,000 checks are, uh, you know, how bass fishermen make their living. Um, of course, you know, we always want to be in that top 10 or top 20, so which is which is always great. But, you know, go out there, put your time hard, time and hard work in, um, and, and you're going to find those fish. And um, when it happens, it happens. I mean, you very, you very seldomly, prior to the, at the tournament meeting, somebody says, oh, I'm going to win this tournament. I would say 99.99 times they don't ever win the tournament. So you can never say, oh, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I'm on the winning fish. But um, you just go out there, fish hard, put your time in, um, fish to be consistent, um, and uh, you're going to find the winning fish. All right. Well, Brett, thank you so much for coming on. This is a pleasure. Really enjoyed how in-depth you went. I've got one more question for Brett real quick. Just came to me. Brett, what were your thoughts on the the disqualifications that happened before Okeechobee? Obviously, uh, Gagliardi and Frank Clark uh, before, and then the night of the registration, Brent McMillan. Uh, can you give your thoughts on that? Um, you know, uh, I, I think, um, you know, we, we have to enforce rules. And if we don't, if we're lenient on our rules, people, that leaves open interpretation for people breaking rules. Um, but if we do as the rules are stated and enforce them how they're stated, um, people won't break the rules. So it's just like anybody else. I mean, you can't get pulled over by a cop after you just crashed into somebody and he says, oh, Joe, I'm sorry, but uh, I'm going to let you go this time. No, he's going to have mm-hmm. to write you a ticket. You know, it's the same way in bass fishing. If if we don't 
if we don't enforce those rules, um, people think that we're lax and um, they're going to try to break those rules, just like you would, uh, you know, if you were speeding all the time and the guy kept on letting you go. Um, sure. it, it, it's, it's the same, same principle. Um, you have to enforce those rules. Um, you know, FLW has to do what they have to do. Um, that is unfortunate. All those guys are, are good guys. I know they didn't intentionally break those rules. Um, I, I know the scenario, and I know that they kind of got a little mixed up on, on exactly what was going on. But, uh, you know, um, some stuff happens, and, and it is unfortunate. They're all good good guys, and, um, and you know, I wish them luck the rest of the year. I mean, I, I know uh, I know they're uh, they're kind of down in the dumps, and I um, I I just wish them to keep their chins up and go fishing. They'll be fine. All right. Well, we appreciate your insight. We good? Anything else? Yeah, I think we're good to go. Yeah. Brett, we'll let you get back awesome. to fishing. Okay. Well, I I really appreciate you guys doing that, and uh, thank you so much. Um, and you guys uh, stay warm up there. <laughs> Where can people find more about you? Do you have a Facebook page or a website or anything that we can direct people to? Yeah, yeah. Like me on Facebook. Um, it's uh, Brett Height Fishing. Uh, Brett Height Fishing. I guess it's not dot com, but uh, on <laughs> Facebook at Brett Height Fishing, you can like me. Um, I'm always posting some cool photos and you know, kind of telling you about my practices and um, new products, things like that. Keeping you on the on the cutting edge of bass fishing. <laughs> awesome. Brett, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Take care. We'll see you in a few short weeks. Okay. Sounds Bye-bye. Good. Bye-bye. Well, Joe, I tell you what, that was my favorite interview that we've done so far. The definitive B-Height interview. Yeah. He didn't invent a technique. You know, we didn't get a story about snakes, but gosh, it was great. Yeah, he, he gave a ton of good tips. He gave a lot of good tips, and he he has a knack for explaining things. You know, I've, I've said it before, the guys who have that knack for explaining things are irreplaceable, and he has that knack, no doubt. Definitely. He's very good. What was the highlight for you? Well, you know, I really liked his breakdown of his rods and rod and reel selection. The logistics? Yeah, partly because I disagree with some of that, so <laughs> I think that's fun. I... I think David Dudley disagrees with some of that, too, because we know he uses a flipping stick as his cranking rod. So I thought that was kind of cool. I I almost brought that up. Uh, You know, one thing I loved is that he gave himself a little more wiggle room on his chatterbait trailer selection. It's been going around the Internet the last couple of days about whether or not he uh, maybe always threw a swim senko or maybe threw a, you know, Lake Fork Live Magic Shad Mm -hmm. some of the time. And I like that, he, which hasn't been confirmed. I mean, it's yeah, it's well, been talked about, but I, yeah, I like that he gave himself some wiggle room there and didn't say just straight up. I I thought about pressing him a little more on it, like, oh well, what other baits did you maybe use as trailers? But I thought that was interesting. I'm glad he, I'm glad he gave himself that little bit of that little edge. And in Brett's defense, I mean, just because they got a picture of him using this other bait, that doesn't mean he caught any fish on it. That doesn't mean he used it for more than one or two casts. I mean, we just saw one photo, so I think it's unfair to be like, oh, he's a liar, you know, because we know that he's throwing these swimming Sankos, and a lot of guys were throwing swimming Sankos, so. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think I think one photo doesn't necessarily prove anything. <laughs> um, 
Well, it proves that he at least made one cast with it. <laughs> and you know, he had he had a variety of baits on deck when I when I looked at his when I looked at Yeah, so you were deck, out there taking know, pictures that had, final day. You know, he had you know, six rods on one side, six rods on the other side. They didn't all have exactly the same thing. So if he caught most of his fish on the swim senko, I'll believe him. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I enjoyed his uh, breakdown of how he, you know, practices and will come to a new water and look for areas that have multiple different techniques and patterns available. I enjoyed his breakdown of how he practices. Even more, I enjoyed his breakdown of how he and Brent Ayler share information. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. It was something that I really didn't know. I mean, you hear a lot of these guys, you know, the Hollowell brothers, and and they share information, and JT and Chad Grigsby, and like you never really know what exactly that means. So, yeah, and I think nice of him to clarify. I think that varies depending on person to person group. Oh, absolutely. You know, they everybody shares information in a little bit different ways, and so I thought that was pretty cool. Alrighty, well, I think that's going to about wrap us up for this episode, uh, the Jody White birthday episode. <laughs> How old are you today, Jody? 23. 23. I feel, I feel the, like a pretty big time failure. The uh, wa- Oh, come on. Well, look at Mike Trout. I mean, come on. You're doing all right. <laughs> a lot of people would consider this their dream job, Jody. Well, I, I suppose. Mean, you, I know that you don't get to fish nearly as much as you'd like, but... I mean, it could be worse. You're talking fishing every day, so. Yeah. I could not live in Minnesota, too. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> I mean. This, this winter's been brutal. It's 20 I'm sorry. degrees out I'm right sorry. now. Just saying. <laughs> but happy, happy birthday to Jody White. You know, RG3 was born on this day, too. So you share a birthday with uh, Washington Redskins quarterback. So Oh, well, and Abraham Lincoln, who's way cooler. I believe he's. 23 or 24 too you might be the exact same age abraham lincoln is 23 no no rg3 <laughs> but yeah. all right well look we're getting off the rails here all right let's, uh let's go ahead let's wrap this up um you can find flw follow flw we've got tournaments coming up we've got more stuff happening uh, college fishing this weekend saturday college fishing we've got a couple bfls this weekend um but you can follow us on instagram on pinterest on twitter on facebook on youtube at flwoutdoors.com, did I get everything? I think so. That new in- t- or, excuse me, that new Instagram page, it's really seen some improvements, Jody. It's going all right. Yeah, all you're right. doing a great job. Thank you very much, sir. So check that out. Check Jody out on Instagram. Uh, you can follow us. I'm on Twitter, at Joe Opogger. Follow Jody. Wish him a happy birthday, <laughs> at VT Basser, even though this probably won't be posted until... Maybe Thursday, but yeah, happy it should be up tomorrow morning. So, or well, I say tomorrow morning. Thursday, Thursday morning. morning so, <laughs> but uh, anyhow, I think that's I think that's a wrap. Yeah, we'll be back next week. Not sure who the guest is going to be yet, but it'll be somebody good and interesting. So, thanks for listening, guys. Yeah. We'll see you later. Take it easy. <laughs>